You're listening to Not True But Useful, a podcast from Cheek by Jowl. My name is Lucy Dawkins, and each week I get together with the artistic directors Declan Donnellan and Nick Ormerod to talk about the art of making plays. And in this series, we've been answering questions put to us by you. Hello, Declan and Nick. It's great so, to hello. Today. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Lucy. So today we're going to continue answering questions which have been put to us by listeners. And we've got a great question today from someone on Twitter, at Bohemian Burbage. And they ask, what's the best bit of advice anyone has given to you over the whole span of your careers and to this day you still find useful? That's a great question, I think. What advice do you still keep in the forefront of your minds when you're making work even after 40 years of doing what you do, what advice do you still give yourselves? Nick, why don't we start with you? Yes, I, I try hard to give myself the advice, and it, yes, I do do it every time, and, and it doesn't always work. And that is to be ruthless over what is needed and what isn't needed, and what is decorative and what is actually part of the action and needs to be there. And each time I do this, I fail. You know, I, each production I come to, I find myself wanting to design stuff, things. And then when I, I, when I come to it, I realize that, uh, that I didn't need it. For example, <coughs> we've just done Oedipus in Craiova um, in Romania. And we had to, we were using, um, we cast two young girls as Oedipus's children. And they had to be revealed behind a shutter and my first thought was of course to design to design stuff so that they were going to be seen in a in a playroom with lots of toys and I got the actors to start collecting toys so we could have stuff for them to play with and be somewhere specific but then when it came to it um, the shutter went up and it was so clear that we didn't need any of that stuff at all all we had are the two little girls running around in the space and that was much much stronger than anything I could have designed so essentially yes that was the last production I've done and I you I have to give that advice to myself every time I work that make sure that what you design is what you need as opposed to any sort of decoration and it's hard you really need to think hard I, I need to think hard I mean, I remember doing Angels in America, and um, you design a load of stuff, which a lot of people put a lot of work into. And I remember one particular scene, which was meant to be, I think, in heaven or hell or somewhere. And I designed a lot of sort of office furniture and a stack of filing cabinets. And um, and it was made and, and appeared. But it kind of never somehow worked for me, because I never, I, it, was, it was an entirely a, an idea that I had, and it, it, we didn't cut it, we used it, um, but it was simply decorative, and I somehow felt that it, it never it never had a role, you never quite understood it, um, because it was never used. It was a, an intellectual idea or a design idea which um, really wasn't rooted anyway, but I felt we needed an, an, an image, you know? I think I was down the wrong path. I don't know what the right path would have been, but it was, it was never cut. We had it in the show. Nobody ever noticed, but I noticed, I think. 
So these very stripped back designs seem to be all about empowering the actor and their ability to transform the space before the audience's very eyes. But that seems to involve a really deep collaboration between you as a designer and the actors. How do you invite the actors into that collaboration? How do you empower them within that? I think you need. I think you need to be there with the actors from the beginning, working with them. I mean, and I've, I've, I've. Uh, often we have this absurd tradition in cheap agile of playing the silly children's games, which I do. That's my job, beginning of rehearsal, and. Um, I, in that sense, I kind of bond with the actors as much as possible. And because we've created the company together, we've, um, they, they're very much, I think they do trust me and they obviously trust Declan. And, and therefore, they feel free, and I feel free, um, to work with them, come up with things. And that has become part of what we do together, and we do it, you know, and we love being there together in the rehearsal room. And that happened from the very beginning. I don't talk to the actors about how they act. Ecton does that. I just talk with them maybe about their costume and their space and and um, how it's how it's going to work. I mean, I think it's crucial, particularly if you have designed a, a detailed set or that you are there as a designer in the rehearsal room because otherwise nobody else is going to make it work or Nobody else is going to introduce the actors to the space and work with them. And sometimes you see productions where you feel that all the decisions have been taken um, by the designer. And that is absolutely, that, that, that's absolutely a, a danger, I think. That um, really what I'm saying is that um, the designer needs to be eagle sharp on what is ne necessary and what can be delivered by the actors without stuff, you know, because ultimately it's their imaginative journey which is going to make the evening. And the more that they exercise their imagination with the audience, the stronger the experience for the audience will be. And by closing down their possible choices, you restrict the possibility of the theatre itself, I think. So there's a lot of collaboration going on. You, as designer and director, are in the room together all the time. Do you ever find yourself giving advice to each other? I think we don't give it advice to each other in the rehearsal room. No, we don't. Do you, do you think we ever dare give each other advice? You maybe do after the end of rehearsal. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember I'm giving you advice about anything. You know, I mean, it's not to do with acceptance of what you're given and, 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 and dealing with what you've got rather than wishing you had something else, really. Um, so yes, I, I don't really think we do do that. Oh, we do like in on the driving home from the rehearsal or whatever. We do sometimes. Nick does sometimes <laughs> say, "Why don't you do blah?" Why? Occasionally, not very often, actually. Funnily enough, yes. No, we don't really directly interfere with each other that much. I must say, no. There's no problem that can't be made worse by talking about it. If we end up talking a lot, it's probably a sign that something's gone wrong. I don't think we we do talk to each other that much about our work. We expect we do. We talk a lot about choosing the play. And we talk about a lot about the actors and choosing the play and using the actors. And, and, but then Nick will sort of, on the whole, decide how we're going to use the space. And that, then everything starts to be determined from that point. Well, let's turn the question over to you, Declan. What advice do you still keep giving yourself in rehearsal rooms? What do you keep reminding yourself about to help you do your best work? It's, it's actually quite simple. I, I need to watch it if I start directing too much. Like if Nick needs to watch it if he starts designing too much. But we, we monitor ourselves with that. 
So, you know, if I end up thinking to myself, oh, why doesn't he sit down now? Why doesn't she move there? Or why something like that? It's normally a sign that things have gone very wrong um, and that I need to get back, I need to go back to basics. And my real job is to talk to the actors, work with the actors, uh, maybe do some impromptu exercise, which is I invent on the spot with the actors, about what the predicament is. And if I do that, things tend to work out. And, I, and they, they'll find much more interesting places to sit down or stand up or walk around or whatever. They'll, they'll actually do all of that themselves. But I need to sort of make sure that people are seeing the predicament in all its um, complexity. I think one thing that's really important, um, if you take a very simple piece of advice to yourself, a director might say, well, now what's going on here? Let's sort out what's going on here. That's quite a dangerous question, actually, because it smuggles in a weird sort of superiority, because no one knows what's going on here. Each of those characters will have a completely different impression of what's going on. That in each of those pairs of shoes on the stage, they'll be each facing in different directions, and they'll be each perceiving different threats or possibilities in the situation. Any superiority ruins your ability to access that. That's what's really, really important. I, I, I go on about superiority, and I'm not really talking about ethics, I'm talking about making your work good, and that if you're um, either above or below what you're looking at, you can't see it properly. You have to ask yourself about each of the different characters. What is it that they see, or what is it that they're trying to see? And also, and above all, actually, what is it they're trying not to see? They're each trying to deal with what they're not trying to see, and they're each not trying to see slightly different things. So the really important thing is that you just are able to stand in the shoes of the people who are on stage and see what it is they see, and it will be different from each other, it'll be different from you, and none of us has any access to the Godshot. You know, what is the truth here? None of us knows that. The reason I put that under what advice do we give, I give myself is that it's really shocking how one smuggles in sentences, questions like, now, what's going on here? Because it sounds quite humble and plausible, but it isn't. I need to see what's blocking my view. And most of the time, if I'm honest enough, the thing that's getting in the way of my vision is I'm afraid I've got in the way. I'm occluding the view of what I should be seeing. But how does that happen? You know, it happens with thoughts like, um, oh, is this dynamic enough? Um, is this um, exciting enough? I'd have slightly outside God type views of, of what ought to be happening. And that really, really doesn't help me. That actually tends to block me. I've just got to keep asking the question that I said to you, you know, what, what, does, it, what does it look like from those shoes? And then the only way to unblock yourself is to unblock yourself. That isn't quite as banal as it sounds. It, you have to take the blockage away. And the blockage is me looking at myself normally. That's normally how I get blocked. And if you get into a panic, of course, then you start thinking, oh, maybe this should be more, maybe should, this should be this, maybe this should be that. But in a way, if you analyze it, you'll see that you're actually just actually thinking about yourself. But if you, you need to kind of get rid of that and, and actually see as well as you can what you think might be happening in the outside world. You'll never see exactly what's happening in the outside world, but you can have a better stab at it. Can I just say one thing about advice that I think is really important? And that is that positive advice is really quite dangerous. So if you're going to an interview and somebody says, be yourself, that's really pretty toxic advice, because the, the real answer is which self?
you know. I also think that the priests were really cruel at Delphi, you know, saying, you know, man, know thyself. And you think that's really unhelpful. Um, it's much more useful to say, don't deceive yourself about yourself. It's too many syllables. It doesn't make a good slogan, I know. But it's actually a little bit more helpful than to say, because none of us can know ourselves. But what we can try to do is try and deceive ourselves a little bit less. I think every single piece of positive advice is really bloody dangerous. So be strong, be wise, be intelligent, be this, be that. They're all dreadful because they really don't help. The, the only thing that I've ever found in my life to help is to try and not do the, the negative thing, you know? So, so rather than direct well, sort of try not to direct badly is actually rather better. Try and, try and think why you're getting in the way of what you're trying to do. So it sounds like it's really important to both of you to let yourselves be open to instincts, to reacting to what the actors are giving you, not to cook too much in advance, not to control too much, letting yourself be open to inspiration and to hunches. Nick, do you find that there's anything that you can do that helps your imagination stay open and free like that while you're working? Yes, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that question because um, I'm not... I think the way my mind works is that I have the idea, if there is an idea, um, for the set or for the setting um, outside the rehearsal room, kind of in one kind of a leap, you know, just an idea comes to me. Together, we tend to do probably at the maximum two productions a year, and it gives you a, a long time to allow them to sort of vegetate and grow in your mind. And that has been a great privilege over time. That I've never, I've never been faced with, you know, a deadline. Oh my God, no! I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to produce this design. Never, no, no that's never happened. More so recently, we've come up with more elaborate settings which have required to be designed in advance. But um, often, um, we've gone into the rehearsal room with nothing, and I've uh, allowed, and the technical department have allowed me to kind of two weeks. To, to come up with something. I think that's very important, actually, that it's the dream time that really matters. But the important thing is that you let your mind wander in a way as well. You, it's not, the idea of sort of sort of scrutinizing the text, I think, isn't, isn't, doesn't, doesn't tally with my experience at all. You read the text and then something happens in the space. Not necessarily that you fantasize on the text, but the text suggests all sorts of things to you. If you give yourself some air, to, to think about it. That, I think, is, is really important. The problem isn't having ideas. The problem is you have too many ideas, and you have to keep chucking away ideas. So if you're going to direct well, you've just got to be prepared to chuck away lots and lots of ideas. Don't be thinking, oh, the problem is not having any ideas. The problem is just getting rid of them. And you need to put yourself in a space where you have um, ideas that you can throw away. But one, one can't be enthralled in, in, in to the idea. Well, thank you very much both. I think that's where we're going to end for today. And we're going to get together next week to answer more questions from listeners. Thanks, Lucy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not True But Useful. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then head on over to the Cheek by Jar website or wherever you get your podcasts to find lots more gems from Declan and Nick. The music you're hearing now was composed by Sergei Chekrashov for Cheek by Giles production of Three Sisters. <laughs> <laughs>